I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today's episode is a talk given by Katie Bohens called Poetry as Magic at the conference Rewriting the Future 100 Years of Esoteric Modernism in Psychoanalysis held in Murano, Italy in 2019. The collected papers from this conference are just published as The Fenris Wolf, Volume 11, now available from Chapar Books. Visit the website trapart.net or buy it online at Amazon or wherever you love to get your books online. Katie also presented at the first Psychoanalysis Art in the Occult Conference in London in 2016, and those collected papers are available as The Fenris Wolf, Volume 9, also available from Chapar Books. Katie will also be presenting at our upcoming conference, the third installment of Psych Art Cult, to be held in Copenhagen this October, October 14th to 16th, 2022. It's called Visionary Medium, Psychoanalysis and the Magic of Cinema. For more information, you can visit the website psychartcult.org. That's P-S-Y-C-H-A-R-T-C-U-L-T dot org for links and more information. I'll be posting this list of speakers for that conference soon. If you'd like to become an audience member, please send me PayPal of $150, which counts for all three days of the event, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So it's only $50 per day. You're going to have a bunch of different lectures as well as we're going to be screening films. You can PayPal me at SinclairVanessa at gmail.com. So uh, once upon a time in London in 2016, uh, there was a psychoanalysis art in the occult conference hosted by Vanessa and Carl, um, and it was wonderful. And for me, um, I presented on uh, two, uh, something very different from what I'm talking about today, but two very concrete outcomes manifested from the last conference. So the first is, and this is my total sales pitch, uh, my paper turned into a company. Um, so I was talking about uh, astrology and its uh, origins in uh, mathematics and how it uh, uh, <coughs> basically that um, the origins of trigonometry and the obsession of trigonometry by the Greeks uh, comes from uh, uh, an obsession with trying to understand the angles between the stars. Um, and uh, if you trace this um, this original data science, the oldest data science, which is astrology. We now have big data today, and so it's possible to return to astrology using statistics and um, uh, using large amounts of data to um, find statistical correlation. So that is the purpose of the ratio. 
um, we are building out right now. And I basically will call on everyone here to help me <laughs> in the future too, because we're trying to get 2 million data points so we can have some real statistical significance. So towards that end, I, I will be asking everyone to be on your podcast or your list server, whatever. So mm -hmm. hopefully you'll help me. Oh, please turn off. The okay, we're going to. All right. So we'll. Uh, second thing is I had a book with Trin with uh, Scarlet Imprint, um, and just a note on this: when I perform on Saturday, it's going to be the Balsamic Moon, and uh, that is the perfect time just before the new moon, which will be right around midnight here in Europe on uh, on Sunday night. So it's really the perfect time to do a ritual. So that's a nice coincidence. Um, so backing into this paper, when publishing with Scarlet Imprint, what I thought would happen was that, you know, they would like my poem. It was about the divine feminine, um, the poetry. It was, but it was mostly uh, like, a, like a branding thing in my mind, right? It was just a frame. It was, if I have this uh, occult publisher, then it will frame the poem for what it's supposed to be doing. Something completely different happened. I was just really thrust into this world that opened my eyes. Uh, I met so many new wonderful people, and um, and and um, uh, I was told by people who I would consider very serious occultists that they would consider me a witch. And I would, I would, <laughs> it was like my response to that is: Are all poets witches? And uh, we just don't know it. And what the fuck is a witch? <laughs> um, you know, how, like, how is that classified? How is that quantified? What, are, like, what, is, what does that mean? Um, and so, you know, I went down the rabbit hole. It's like, like does that mean I'm a witch now? Was I a witch in the past? Is, what is, you know? Um, and if the occult community teaches me that I'm a witch, then what can I teach the occult community about poetry? Um, I love those kind of intersectional cross things. Um, and that begs the question, then what is occultism? Um, so now I'm going to flip into uh, kind of like reading mode. So um, let's talk a little bit about contemporary poetry to start off, because I know that there are fewer people, there's that's probably something I can share with the room that's of value. Um, and then from there, you'll, you'll see where we're going. So uh, Robert Graves, um, the white goddess, published in 1948, was, in my mind, the most uh, influential account of poetry as magic, or at least what poetry as magic means today for me as a contemporary poet. Uh, Graves' long-held fascination with Greek myth extended an interpretation to poetry much beyond that of the American language poets who dominated the 1980s poetry scene in the United States and most of Europe. By contrast, the language poets of the 1980s America were deep secularists. They believed language should be completely deconstructed to belie its deeper meanings. Poems were transcended by their intellect, rather than their spiritual character. An example of a leading American language poets are the recently denounced Barrett Wotton. Um, we've had a lot of denunciations recently for, um, for uh, social justice reasons and then also for uh, gender reasons and just like 
Me Too stuff, and like uh, there's a lot of it. Um, uh, Barrett Watton and his partner Carla Harriman and Lynn Hegenian, who's a Bay Area poet. Um, the Bay figures prominently since um, as a, a, a loci, a place of uh, American contemporary poetry. Um, and while Hegenian was largely grouped with the American language poets, her work might largely be described as the interior mundane, to my mind. But you can also ask James, who is um, very much also an authority on all things American poetry. Um, uh, so uh, over the years of today and by region and across history, the leading view of what poetry is oscillates from mystical to analytical to where did I go to mundane to pop to deeply spiritual the trends vary from decade to decade with flarf for example uh, entering american poetry scene in the 90s as a dada influenced movement so the idea behind flarf was to one be funny um, and two write the worst poem possible um, <laughs> um, so, it, so it's like the idea is the poem is so bad that it flips over into being good. And the origin of this was like there was a group of people drinking at a bar and they said, I'm going to write the worst poem possible. And they sent it in for submission and it got accepted <laughs> and they couldn't get any of their other poems. And um, also they did like an analysis of how many times the word water was used in poems in the New Yorker. And um, and it was just like this. It was like ninety percent of poems mention the word water, and they were like, "Can't you come up with anything more interesting?" You know. So that that was the critique of like the beginning of the critique of like sort of the dead white man. Um, and as far as magical methodology goes, um, in contemporary American poetry, and I'll define contemporary as uh, the scene within which the poet poet is still alive today. Okay. Um, there are a, a plethora of things going on, and you all are um, probably familiar with Vanessa's methodology of doing uh, cut-ups, uh, but I'll just name a couple other things that people are doing. So Bernadette Mayer um, did something called the 315 experiment, and it was done out at Naropa uh, University, which was founded by um, uh, Allen Ginsberg and, and Waldman as a, like, that had a, like a more spiritual bent. And so Bernadette went out there and she said, all right, everybody at 3.15 a.m., we're going to wake up it, out of the dead of sleep and you just write down the first thing that comes to mind. So it's sort of related to automatic writing, but it is, it's a hypnagogic writing. So it's an attempt to capture dreams and to explore consciousness in this way. Um, and then there's also the writings of Alice Notley, um, who really, like, she says she only writes from channeling and the voices she can hear from the, the dead. Um, and if you've worked with, uh, if you've read her work, uh, Descent of Colette, um, you, the, she's definitely channeling. Um, there is also, um, and a little bit younger, is C.A. Conrad, who is known for his somatic exercises, and I'll pull this up. So, I mean, I'm not sure if you guys know that this guy exists or that what he's doing, but he made these somatic poetry exercises, um, and this is his explanation. 
Soma is an Indo-Iranian ritual drink made from pressing particular psychedelic and energizing plants together. In Vedic and Zoroastrian traditions, the drink is identified with the divine. The word Soma is derived from the Sanskrit and Indo-European tongues, meaning to press and be newly born. Somatic is derived from the Greek. Anyway, it, it goes on. The idea for the somatic poetics is a poetry which investigates the seemingly infinite space between the body and spirit by using nearly any possible thing around or of the body to channel the body out and or in towards spirit with deliberate and sustained concentration. And um, the exercises go from things that you could clearly say are occultish to things that you're like, this is more and more ridiculous. Um, so, for example, here we have wash a penny, rinse it, slip it under your tongue and walk out the door. Copper is the metal of Aphrodite, which never forget this, never don't forget it ever. Drink a little orange juice outside and let some of the juice rest in your mouth with the penny. Oranges are the fruit of Aphrodite, and she is the goddess of love, but not fidelity. Go somewhere outside. Go get going with your penny and juice. Where do you want to sit? Find it and sit there. What, what is the best love you've ever had in this world? Be quiet when thinking about that love. If someone comes along and starts talking, quietly shoo them away. You're busy. You're a poet with a penny in your mouth. Idle chit-chat is not your friend. So be quiet, so quiet that the very sounds of the love be heard in your bones. And after a little while, take the penny out of your mouth and place it on the top of your head. Balance it there and sit still a little while, for you are now moving your own forces quietly... Oh. Oh. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so um, let's let's try and plug it in for just a minute and see if it blows up. Um, all right. Um, so Conrad um, and and Conrad's really quite uh, famous for these somatic exercises. I'll just riff a little bit uh, for a second. One of the other things that he has done recently is he decided that he would write poems in Walmart parking lots. And so he drove uh, like all over the United States into these really, like he would, he got a car and he would sleep in the parking lot and write about his experiences. And um, it's a, uh, it's actually a fabulous way to go on campaign for president of poetry uh, in America. (laughs) Um, uh, And um, the, the exercises are all sort of like this. And then um, uh, you have also the example of uh, Ariana Rines, um, who is really very clear and explicit that she believes that her her best work uh, seems to come to her from an outside force, but that she has to grant that force the power, or she has the power to grant that force uh, voice. And yet, so while they're using all of these spiritual ways to create poetry, or I don't know what spiritual is the way to understand it, um, the content of these poems, really very few of them whatsoever have any, have a spiritual content. Um, it's, uh, it tends towards, you know, scientific, um, the content itself is, tends to be secular or political, really. Particularly with C.A. Conrad, it's very interesting. He writes a lot about the death of his uh, former lover to AIDS. He writes a lot about being gay in America. Um, he writes a lot about anti-war. Um, and um, so that's sort of an interesting uh, contrast to the methodology with which the poetry is being produced. Um, and um, 
So I would say, and I would also say that the way that people describe their own work, it's, uh, the work is described in non-magical terms. Uh, it's described in scientific words uh, with social justice signaling, uh, philosophical argument, um, and in fact, uh, everything but magical or spiritual connection. Uh, under the surface, however, um, this is actually what is happening to a degree. Um, and uh, there are... Um, there are examples over the past uh, century of some more explicitly devoted spiritualists, Spicer, Duncan, and Graves uh, among them. And uh, James is the expert on the Berkeley Renaissance, so you can talk to him afterwards. Um, but um, it's hinted at, right? So whether or not that's Robert Graves or um, Badieu in the philosophical term saying that poetry is, quote, elsewhere, um, there is sort of like a window. Um, anyway, so we're going to go down this. Oh, so one of the things I want to talk about is China. And in part, it's just my personal experience with China. Um, but I wanted to discuss it because Ezra Pound also found his start in China. So... I always wanted to be a writer since I was really young, and it was my secret, um, because I would write these poems, and I would show my parents, and they would be like, oh, that's nice, you know, like, <laughs> I just didn't really care, and, um, but I kept my little secret, and um, uh, I would write, you know, as I would write, but I didn't feel like I was really a writer, and um, it wasn't until I lived in China that I sort of just fell into this new way of knowing. Um, I had grown up in a very scientific household uh, where we approached life from an analytical perspective. Uh, it was very heavy on the math. <laughs> um, this isn't to say we didn't discuss the question of God. We did. But we approached it from an analytical discourse of what was possible based on what science had proven. We always made room for the impossible, and yet in China I le learned of something radically different. In China, and this is where Pound goes early on in his career, he's like 19 years old, he goes to China and he uh, discovers the idea of the uh, ideograph uh, or the Chinese character, and he brings that back, and that's really one of the um, major innovations in, in uh, modernist poetry that Pound contributed and sort of what launched his career. Um, and in sort of the way that in um, American poetry, everyone is using magic and connecting to spirit in order to write, but describing the work as political or analytical, in political or analytical terms. In China, the descriptions are opposite as well. In China, there is much emphasis placed on intuition, and the word logic is literally a transliteration imported from the British during the Opium Wars. So the word logic doesn't exist in Chinese. The word logic is literally luoji, and it came during the uh, British invasion of the Opium Wars. Similarly, they do not have a word for analytical. But, I mean, so the assumption frequently among foreigners who are there, they think, oh, this is so illogical, these people are so illogical, they don't have words for these things. But it's not true. I mean, that can't be possible. The Chinese, um, more Chinese major in mathematics than any other country in the world. Uh, they invented gunpowder. Um, they manufactured nearly all of the most technically sophisticated parts and pieces of the machines in the world. 
So it's not impossible. So it's not possible to argue that um, the Chinese culture is not scientific, logical, or analytical. Um, however, you can say that it is happening without the language that is describing it. Um, uh, so you know, it, it sort of becomes a question of self-identification or branding. You know, how are we describing ourselves, and what is it that we're as completely happening, but we're just not don't have the words for it. Um, so I've always believed that poetry was a curse. Um, personally, it happened to me. It wasn't a choice. So how do I how do I make sense of this, right? Like so. I'm supposedly a witch, and uh, why am I a witch, and are all poets witches, secretly? Um, and so the first question is, there is really a very big difference between process and content, right? So people are generating, they're using these, these witchy things in order to get to, um, or what would be called like magical operations, in order to get to something that's not necessarily the content. And part of the reason why Trinity Star Trinity had to be published uh, to some degree, it, it was better published with Scarlet Imprint, is that the content of it is explicitly spiritual. And that was not being really well, you know, the publishers were like, we don't know what to do with this, right, in American poetry. Um, but so the question then, the challenge, it's not enough to say that you just have, um, sorry, that you just have uh, process versus content, right? But part of the issue is that if channeling is poetry, then how does that overlap with all the other religious motherfuckers out there who have been channeling religious texts for so long, right? Um, so you have uh, the Book of Revelation, you have, um, like, the Book of Mormon, right? Like, these guys basically went out and they were like, God talked to me, and then I made this thing, right? So that sort of complicates the nice little diagram that I was going to draw with arrows. So uh, <laughs> how do I interrogate that and continue to try to make a nice little diagram, right? And so the issue becomes, do you have a distinction between magic uh, on the one end of the spectrum and religion on the bottom end of the spectrum. And this is something that I think we touched on uh, briefly yesterday in your talk. Um, but I think that if I might be so bold, um, through several conversations, uh, I have sort of been able to say that you can collapse a cult and religion under one uh, thing, which says that... Um, the commonality between these two is fundamentally uh, the belief that one is communing with the dead or spirits or other realms. Um, and uh, I think this is also helpful for reasons that people said yesterday, which is that although Christianity uh, was very rude to the occult methodologies that gave it birth, um, it in other cultures um, that um, that like kind of mean and violent dialectic didn't necessarily occur, um, and so in some places like the Caribbean, people 
uh, grew up side by side with uh, Christianity and with occult practices and in places like India astrology is still hi- highly prominent today and um, so I, I think for me that helps uh, me feel more comfortable with that uh, collapsing um, uh, and then you get into a new question or I get into a new question so if I've defined this term as spiritual well, there's a lot of New Age people who like to say that they're very spiritual and the consciousness community is talking about being spiritual. So I went and talked to the consciousness community in America, right? And I was like, all right, what's the deal? And that guy, the guy I was talking to, Ken Jordan, he runs something called the Alchemist Kitchen. And his, uh, his uh, father ran Grove Press, so he published Burroughs and like all the uh, beat uh, writers. And... Uh, and he's now, he went into tech for a while, and now he's, like, literally, like, the king of ayahuasca. Like, he does it, like, three times a week. Or, I'm sorry, three, 80 times a year, technically, is the number he told me, on average. Uh, yeah, it's a lot. Um, and he, so he's sort of, like, he's sort of, like, the king of the consciousness community. It was actually really, so I had a real long conversation with him, and I said, look, I'm trying to ask this question, like, why, you know, people think I'm a witch, like, am I a witch, what does that mean? And he said, um... It, it was really interesting. He said the occult community, and it's so interesting what ha- you uh, said at the beginning. They had, someone asked this on the first panel. And um, uh, his response was that the occult community was trying to control outcomes, and therefore it was about power. But the consciousness community, the drug people, um, that, they're just, <laughs> that they're just trying to open themselves up to experience. And I was like, okay, this is so interesting because it was like sort of like um, the same critique was coming from the occult community. You guys said on the first panel that the consciousness community was just about power and money and venture capital. And so <laughs> it's sort of a mirror there, um, which I thought was funny. Um, but anyway, so spiritual, you can include the consciousness community or not, whether or not, I mean, it's just a question of how they if you're in my rubric, whether or not they think they're talking to a spirit or God or how they do this. But the end result is I am a witch poet because I believe I am communicating with Hera. I believe that I went to where Hera was born in Greece and that I went and visited her Parthenon three times in a row in a sort of ritualistic way and that um, and she came to me and then I wrote it down. And that this is very different from, you know, whatever methodology is used. This is the distinction. Um, So the question becomes then if you use witchy methods and your content is entirely secular, are you a witch? And I would argue no but it's up for discussion. Um, I publish a really terrific poet, Dodie Bellamy, um, who wrote an am- amazing book of poetry, Cunt Ups. And it's, um, she cut up lo- letters from her old lover and also transcripts of Jeffrey Dahmer and <laughs> m- 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 meshed them up. And it is, it is like Marquis de Sade of the feminist movement. It's like so <laughs> sexy and like totally gender. Qu- it's un believable. I mean, it's so good. But she used this magical method, but she it is not a spiritual text for her, you know? Um, 
and so that's like a that's an interesting space to get into. Um, and by the way, this essay is going to be published on the Poetry Foundation's website. Um, so we'll see what the poets have to say about this. Um, and then, um, let's see. So then the question also becomes, and I add this last night, what is a suitable definition of magic? And where does that fall in the schema? And I would say that my working definition of magic is not like poetic. It's like very technical. Like you performed a thing. Um, did it work? Uh, did it create the outcome that you wanted it to create? Um, and I would maybe even put forth that a lot of what people mean when they say magic is either prayer or poetic sensibility, like observe coincidence. Um, like, oh, that's a coincidence, and, and then it feels magical. Um, and then, again, the consciousness community's sense of magical realism via drugs. Um, and here's my uh, additional questions, which I called my trick finale. Um, how do you know if it's a poem? <laughs> Great question. Uh, can a poem itself be magic? So then you get into, like, are all rituals poems? Um, what differentiates the poem from the ritual? And uh, can an event be magic, like Carl and Vanessa's event? And um, do you have to have the language to describe what you're doing uh, as magic to be doing it? So I think um, this kind of, for me, is like, well, C.A. Conrad doesn't call himself a witch, but maybe he kind of is, you know. Um, all right, that's it. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a talk given by Katie Bohens at Rewriting the Future, 100 Years of Esoteric Modernism and Psychoanalysis. Join us in Copenhagen in October for Visionary Medium, Psychoanalysis and the Magic of Cinema. For more information, visit psychartcult.org. Links to Katie's website and books can also be found in the text accompanying this episode. Visit Rendering Unconscious main website, renderingunconscious.org. You can also visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. Your support is so appreciated. Thank you so much to our Patreon community. Your support means the world. And now a track by Carl and I from our album, Lunacy. Enjoy.
no need. Flower. Oracular words of thee. Flat. supplement formal training with what they fear most. 
by a heart of stone. You, of many books, where shame is chiseled. When the sun sets, we are wrapped in darkness and despair. Space is empty, black, enormous, almost invisible. His life containing a myriad of tiny, tiny starlights and allegedly filled with devouring black holes came to experiments threatening asteroids and aliens although ass up locking things we can't direct her very patient devastated the drawing of the renaissance and our senses we are still sensory driven more than anything else always have been a, a a new form of fire fear. When the sun rises, the senses are alerted. We can see what's tangible, have never, as I think, at all understood thee. When I worry, the message is lost in sweet note. Processes. Most of us structure our active lives based, and then, she says that the seekers can choose. Relish magnetic force, quite 
let me know what life with the moon regulates it and see exposing ourselves began saging me, thereby controlling human destiny to a greater and more tangible extent. Me who brought thee, the future will know their own kind. Embellish human existence, but the convention forbids. Body corresponds to thee, present throughout. In neural form of the occulted, tissue that structures, binds, and supports, it is for Vanessa.